0: Hi there, listener, and I'd like to welcome my special guest today, which is Dan Egan. Uh, Dan will be a familiar name to anyone who's watched a Warren Miller movie or perhaps people who visited the uh, Vermont stand at the London ski show uh, back over the years. Uh, Dan was part of the original free ride scene back when it was uh, better known as extreme skiing. And the reason I wanted to talk to you today, Dan, is that you've got a new book out, 30 Years in a White Haze. According to the, uh, the blurb, it's your story of worldwide adventure and the evolution of extreme skiing. So welcome to the Ski Podcast. How are you? Uh,
1: it's great to be here. Uh, thanks so much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. Remind us where you are just now. Where are you, where you talking to?
1: I'm sitting in beautiful Montana. Uh, we're having a nice snowstorm right now in Big Sky, Montana. Uh, this is where I'd uh, do all my steep camps and reside here all winter long.
0: Excellent. And uh, how much snow have you had uh, in this snowstorm just now? What are the conditions like?
1: Well, the conditions are good. It pains me to say Jackson Hole has a bit more snow than us right now, but uh, we're getting our fair shake. And uh, and yeah, so skiing's very good. Traditionally here in Big Sky, our snow comes just a little at a time, a little at a time. And the wind smooths it out. And, of course, skiing off Lone Peak is a very unique experience, much like skiing in Europe. Uh, and, of course, I should mention my springtime home is Val France. France. Uh, so I spend mid-March to May 1st in Val every year.
0: Do you? That's great. I'm a big fan of Val d'Azur, as yeah. most European skiers who've tried it are. A wonderful resort. And I think I just watched a tremendous uh, video featuring a uh, big sky and it kind of explained one of the reasons why you have chosen to locate your uh, your camps there, because it offers a lot for this for steep skiing. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it does. Lone Peak is really unique. Uh, we ski off three sides of uh, the summit. Uh, there's a small little tram that takes 15 people to the top. Um, and you know, we have the we're home of the big couloir the big sea, as we call it around here. It's about 15 to 1600 vertical feet. Uh, you ski it alone, nobody else gets to drop in. You have to do it by scheduling your time. Uh, the North Summit snowfield is uh epic, uh, and of course, the south facing, uh, many people know the names Lenin, Marx, and the Dictators. That's the name of our shoots over here on the south side, and it's quite a unique experience. But one of it is that. With only fifteen people in the tram, it's not crowded. Nobody's skiing over you, and we don't form moguls.
0: Right, that's great. Just yeah. that big sequel. while you mentioned then? So you ski it on your own? Is that a safety issue? Is that why you do that?
1: It is. You have to be with a partner, uh, and you have, one person stays on top while the other person drops in. And you know we don't want people skiing over each other, um, and we don't want the big to form become a mogul run. So yeah. You know, it's quite unique to ski a run here in North America alone uh, without the, the, you know, feeling the pressure of somebody above you or somebody might fall on you. So it's quite a unique experience.
0: Excellent. And I think in the video uh, as well, it, it mentioned couloirs A to Z. I wondered if there were like 26 <laughs> different couloirs. Is that what that means?
1: That's true. Yeah, there is the A to Z couloir uh, uh, shoots, And that's a whole ridge of uh, beautiful shoots that you can hike to. And off the other side of that is the headwaters terrain, uh, which is some of the most radical terrain in all of North America.
0: Ah, just talking to you, you know, in a, <laughs> the current situation we're in in Europe, where there's there's not so much skiing you can do unless you happen to be located in a in a ski resort. So frustrating, and it sounds so good. And um, I, I wondered if I could take you back, uh, uh, Dan. I know the book covers, you know, many different aspects of your uh, life. I'm really probably most interested in the skiing side of things. And I, I think I'm right in saying that there was one particular incident on Mount Elbrus in in Russia that had a, a really a significant impact on your life more than anything else. Could, could you tell us a bit about that and what happened?
1: Yeah, 30 years ago, um, May of 1990, uh, we were climbing and skiing Mount Elbrus. Uh, the trip was sponsored by Degree 7, of course, founded by... Uh, the uh, grandfather of extreme skiing, Patrick Valenzant, uh was a mixture of nine different countries. Uh, it was really the celebration of Patrick's life. There were Chamonix guides, my brother, myself. We had our cameraman. We were filming and shooting for ESPN. Uh, and there was also uh, a contest that the clothing company held where people could win a trip, uh, a dream trip to Elbrus. Of course, Elbrus kills more people than Everest. Uh, That's a little known fact that not a lot of people pay attention to. Um, And the day of our summit attempt, there was a storm that trapped 50 climbers at the summit. Uh, I was one of four of our climbers that was stuck in the storm. Uh, I was lost for 38 hours. A Russian saved my life. And the next day we rescued 14 people. Uh, It's reported uh, that over 33 people died that day. Uh, 100 mile an hour winds, five feet of snow. And so, yeah, that 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 hence 30 years in a white haze, you know, that trauma uh, experience uh, has never left me.
0: Yes. I mean, from what you're saying there, that sounds uh, like a seriously traumatic experience. Did you say you were lost for 38 hours just then? 38 hours. Yeah. Do you do you were you conscious? Were you aware of what was going on at the time? Yeah, I
1: um uh Sasha the Russian found me in a my in a snow cave I had dug, uh, which uh, when he found me, I was having hallucinations. Uh, I like to say I was having the white light experience and it was interrupted by a six foot four Russian. Um, <laughs> and I believe I was uh dead when he found me. He brought me back, um, and we spent the night together. Um, and uh, yeah, I was conscious of that and then. The whole next day, we struggled uh, breaking trail and, like I said, leading 14 others down the mountain.
0: Gosh, well, yeah, that would be an experience. And, and I take it um, you'd be you, kind of su- suggesting to me there that that changed your outlook on life and the direction that you felt your life was going to take.
1: It did, for sure. You know, I think that um, all most of the major decisions of my adult life stem from that experience, whether consciously or subconsciously. Um And of course, uh, you know, still making my living in the mountains, Um, you know, and then traveling to the Arctic and all around the world. I've been in countless storms. I've rescued countless people off of summits. Um, But uh, even on a day like today in a snowstorm here in Montana, uh, I'll be in my mind thinking about the worst possible thing that can happen. You know, I think as guides, that's our job you know the the clients they don't have to think about that that's our job they they should be thinking about the best possible thing that can happen and we should deliver on that promise but for their safety we need to be thinking about the worst possible thing
0: for sure well it's interesting i was talking to my brother only the other day about how it's almost rare these days that he and I have to make any decisions about which uh, slopes we take on because we're normally with a guide. We've effectively delegated out those yeah. decisions to people who know better than us, which is probably the most sensible way of uh, of, of approaching it, for sure. So what year was that that you were at, Elbrus? Uh, 1990. 1990. So that was in the middle because um, I think a lot of people listening to the podcast will... Perhaps you know know your name because they've seen you in in one of the Warren Miller movies, and I think you're in twelve of those in total, and so not that nineteen ninety um trip to uh, to Russia was kind of in the middle of that because you appeared in uh movies kind of between the mid eighties and mid nineties is is that right
1: yeah, yeah, my brother John you know appeared in uh uh close to sixteen seventeen titles of uh, with Warren we skied together in fourteen of them. Uh, And actually, we reunited uh, in the latest Warren Miller film, Future Retro, out this year. Uh, They brought they brought they dusted off the old dogs and they had Scott Schmidt, myself, John and Tom Day here in Montana.
0: Right. That's great. I think uh, with that future retro one is uh, because of uh, everything that's gone on. It was released uh, digitally, but I think users can probably still uh, track uh, that down digitally. I'll put a link into the uh, into the show notes there. I mean, that's interesting that, you know, within a a minute or so of me mentioning that I've been skiing with my brother. You know, so much of your career there is involved skiing with your brother. And to me, it's a real pleasure. I'm sure it must have been the same or is the same for you as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, you know, skiing with my brother. Uh, you know, we understood each other's movements. Uh, we we were mirror images of each other. I could be following him towards the edge of a cliff, and I could tell from his pole plant, from uh, a stem turn, from a push, what he was thinking and how hard he was going to charge off the edge of it. So those sort of uh, visual cues really made a lot of things possible for us. Uh, we could ski so close together, side by side. Uh, and jump uh, large build large cliffs to, right next to each other.
0: Yeah, I, in one of the videos or somewhere I was uh, when I was doing my research just to find out a little bit more. I noticed you use the phrase "climb, ski, Huck, repeat." Exactly. <laughs> that was your, that was your life around that time, right? <laughs>
1: Absolutely, yes, for sure,
0: exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. And so, how did the invite first come then? Because Warren Miller obviously uh, has you know famously been making or had been making movies for a very long time so how did you first get involved in it
1: well back uh, back in the 70s and 80s warren would send cameramans out to the ski ski areas and this cameraman would check with the marketing directors and they would sort of you know allocate skiers towards uh towards the event so uh, my brother skied in his first movie in 1979 he was just a ski bum at sugarbush washing dishes and uh, he was just a hot, young kid skiing. And this marketing director recommended him ski for the camera. Uh, in 85, I was washing dishes at the same resort at Sugarbush in Vermont. And the cameraman came back to town and uh, we got to ski together for the first time, my brother and I. I was sort of an unknown. I was taking time off from university and just finding my way, so to speak. Um, but then it really happened for us um, Warren took uh, John to Verbier, uh, to ski with John Faulkner and, yep. uh, and, uh, Mark Shapiro and the Combin kids. And, uh, that segment, uh, was a very popular segment, 1986. Uh, the next year I had graduated college and we pestered Warren Miller until he sent a cameraman up to shoot us at Squaw Valley that winter. And really the rest was history. We just started skiing together and, um, uh, it happened really fast for
0: us. That's great. I noticed that Mark Shapiro has done a, a review for the book where he talked about that period of time when you were over in Verbier with John Faulkner as well. What was the name of your, um, your, your crew your, that you were skiing as at the time?
1: Well, we the, the, of course, John, Ace Cavalier and uh, Marco were known as uh, they lived in this cabin in Verbier. And that's sort of the scene uh, stems from that for all of the imagery that the Americans saw uh, of European skiing. Of course, John Faulkner did a lot of the stunts in the James Bond movies. Uh, Ace Cavalier was, you know, one of the leading photographers for Powder Magazine back here in the States. And Marco, of course, is worldwide famous for his photography. So coming out of that little cabin, of course it was made famous again in Blizzard of Oz by Greg Stump. Um and, it, you know, those three were, you know, sort of the ski bums of our day. They were living the life. They were professionals making money. And everybody passed through there. Scott Schmidt, Glenn Plake, the Eagans, on and on, because we were all searching for, you know, the sort of the insider knowledge of, of Europe. So if you're in Verbier, you would check uh, with those guys. If you went over to Chamonix, a lot of times they would come with you or you'd find uh, other sources John, uh, when he was in Chamonix in the late uh, in the mid 80s, skied with uh, Valençant and and that crew. And, uh, you know, we cover that scene in the book where they're following Patrick Valençant through Chamonix. And one day Patrick picked John up thumbing and John says, "Oh, Patrick, you're one of my heroes. I've been following around. And Patrick goes, yeah, I've noticed we've been laughing and he goes why are you laughing he goes he says because we know you americans don't carry a rope
0: (laughs) oh right okay that (laughs) yeah that makes that makes sense and so um that was a that was a time when you know before anyone had ever heard of free riding or free skiing it was extreme skiing wasn't it and it was that era where that that world was being created right
1: yeah it really was you know um You know, racing was a little stagnant at the time, particularly in the States, because the Mare brothers had, Phil and Steve, had retired. Uh, And we we tie this in with the book, uh, you know, really it was the birth of the VHS and the VCR, uh, combined with this sort of change in gears. Uh, The ski industry was looking for something exciting. You know, we were young, we were wearing day clothes, suits, we had big hair and headbands, no helmets and just hucking off cliffs. And, uh, you know, we MTV'd extreme skiing. We glitzed, we glamored it, we, we, we sponsored it. Uh, but, you know, because of the VHS tape and the VCR machine, extreme skiing became not so much a sport, but a form of entertainment. People would watch those tapes. You'd walk into Dick's T-Bar, of course, in Valdez He'd be playing our movies. Uh, and that was happening around the world.
0: Yeah, for sure it was. I mean, I was doing ski seasons all through, almost all through that period that you're in the uh, the Warren Miller uh, movies. And yeah, and it was just fantastic to be able to see, uh, you know, these these great runs putting down. W- was there a, a favorite, perhaps, of, uh, of the different scenes that you filmed in the Warren Miller movies?
1: Well, I had gone to Warren early in my career and told my one to travel around the world wherever CNN was. So I wanted to go to world events. I wanted to tie skiing into a bigger audience. We jumped off the Berlin Wall in 1989. Uh, <laughs> we, we were in Red Square during the Paris Striker Revolt in 1990, right prior to Elbrus. We skied with the, uh, on, the, on the border of Iraq and, and uh, Turkey during the first Persian Gulf War. Um, and on and on it went like that. You know, when they murdered Ceausescu, we went to Romania. Uh, We were in Yugoslavia a week before the Civil War started in Slovenia. Um, And by tying our skiing to mountain cultures around the world, to worldwide events, uh, these became very, very popular in the films. Uh, And of course, uh, Hannes Schneider had uh, once said, if everybody skied, there'd be no wars. And Warren would often repeat that during our segments. And um, we were sort of, you know, on a track for that. Uh, And it was so fun to be part of that. And, you know, it's funny, if you look at the world now, you wouldn't be able to ski the locations we skied. The world has not become safer. Uh, A lot of the places we went, uh, you wouldn't go today.
0: Yeah, I mean, that. They, all of those locations you just listed off there, they just sound amazing. But I love that line yeah. that you're saying there. You know, if everybody skied, there'd be no wars. I completely uh, yeah. believe that. Uh, and perhaps I think another thing I, I believe that Warren Miller might have said to you before is uh, say yes before you say no. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. Tell me if so I uh, they're,
0: <laughs> Yeah, they're throwing these great ideas uh, at you, like, uh, I don't know, Romania or Turkey or something like this. Well, you know. Grasp the nettleer is uh, another expression, and you know now you've got all of those amazing experiences yeah. under your belt. So the Berlin, the Berlin Wall—I take it there was no snow there. Did you just actually just just huck it? How did that we, work? <laughs> we
1: did. You know, we were uh, we were we had we were crashing in a con uh, in a uh, an apartment in Val d'Isere, and it was coming up to the British holidays. They were going to raise the rent, so we had to get out. So uh, we borrowed a we borrowed a van and, and uh, had some time to kill. We drove all the way to the Berlin to stage this event of jumping off the wall for freedom, of course. And uh, we landed in mud puddles on uh, east and the west side.
0: Wow. Well, that's amazing. You know, I, I, I have actually seen that footage. And I will, uh, I'll put that into the show notes as well. So, so um, just now then you're based in a big sky. Something else I noticed one of your videos, the way you like to coach people is skiing from the head down, not the feet up. Do you want to explain that philosophy a little bit? Yeah.
1: You know, I think we get bogged down too much in technique. You know, it's really applied technique, how you think about your skiing. What I say to people every day, I'll say it again today to people, what you think about your skiing is none of your business (laughs) Uh, we're so critical of ourselves and to free yourself from the critical mind allows you to enter into the flow state, into the now, uh, you know, people are passing judgment every time from the moment they wake up. Is it warm? Is it cold? Did it snow? The snow's good. The snow's not too good. Should I go on peace? Should I not? I mean, it just goes on and on. By the time they buckle their boots, they've just already trashed their mind, you know? So we really work on this idea of uh, freeing yourself from the critical mind, breathing, Uh, entering into the flow state uh, and witnessing uh, sort of more observing the day, observing your technique and then applying techniques through strategy and tactics, you know, like yourself, my, me and countless others, we can ski. We know how to go left and right. The question is how, where do we decelerate? What part of the hill should we slow down on? How should we carve? When should we skid? Uh, And, and why are we attaching so much emotion to this? You know, Uh, As a powder day today here in Montana, the herd is here. The anxiety is up. Everybody's going. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like my good friend Henry Schneedwin says in Val let's go in the second wave. Let's go against the grain. Let's get the low hanging fruit. Um, And I find it much more casual, much more fun. uh, And trust me, when people ski with me, they're worn out at the end of the day. So it's (laughs) not that we're not skiing enough.
0: No, well, that sounds great. That sounds like a great philosophy. And I can only hope that there'll maybe be a time where we can cross over in Valdez Air because I think that would be amazing to have the opportunity to <laughs> ski with you. That'd well, I'd great. really like to thank you for your time uh, today, Dan. The book sounds like it's going to be a, a must read. We do have a ski book group on the uh, podcast, so we'll put that onto it. It's thank called 30 Years in a White Haze, and I believe it comes out on the 20th of February.
1: It does. It, 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 you can pre-order it now. It'll be... Um... Up on Amazon, you can go to our site, whitehaze.com. And of course, you'll remember Nick Lyons and the Adventures of Joe Powder from Val uh, We had commissioned uh, Nick uh, to do Joe Powder's ultimate run. And uh, that's in the book as well. So all the cartoons are there, um, as well as every chapter has different illustrations from some from uh, a couple of UK artists uh are in the book as well so the book is really a, a history of skiing an adventure story um uh but it's you know it's 400 pages it's really sort of a must read for people who are vested in this uh, era of our time
0: yeah well it sounds good so uh, my advice to you listener then is uh, don't put it on your christmas list buy it now <laughs> Great, cool all right well that's brilliant dan thanks so much for your time and uh, yeah, like I say, enjoy the rest of your season in Big Sky and maybe we'll cross over in Val at some point.
1: I'll let you know when I'm there. It would be a pleasure.
0: Hi there, listener. Ian here. I just wanted to let you know that you can now support the ski podcast at buymeacoffee.com researching recording editing and publishing the pod takes up a lot of my time and don't get me wrong i really enjoy it you know i love talking with people about skiing but if you do enjoy listening to the podcast and you'd like to support us then you can literally buy me a coffee or in my case it would be a cup of tea but the idea is the same so just go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the ski podcast thanks very much